Welcome, everyone, to the Streaming Water Podcast. Thanks for uh, tuning in today. Uh, this is a podcast where we talk about all things Colorado water and wastewater. The podcast is sponsored by the Rocky Mountain Water Environment Association and the Colorado Wastewater Utility Council. And today we have a very special guest. Sarah Dominic is with us today. And today we're going to break down big decisions and how utilities make big decisions. And I know Sarah is is passionate about this and has a lot of experience doing this. So welcome, Sarah. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me on. You bet. So can you uh, maybe give us a little bit of your background as far as your career? I feel like I've uh, kind of watched you progress through your career. Can you give the listeners kind of an idea of of your career and, and uh, whatever you want to tell us about yourself? Yeah, so I went to School of Mines uh, for an undergrad in civil engineering, master's in environmental engineering. Actually got involved with some professional organizations early on through um, AWWA and the student chapter at School of Mines. And um, I finished up there, went into consulting for a brief time, and then took a job at Denver Water. And I was at Denver Water for... 12 and a half years, uh, started in the engineering group, working on treatment plant upgrades. And then the last seven years, I was working in planning and helping uh, Denver with its long range decision making. Nice. Um, <clears throat> kind of have a frog in my throat and it's not a good time to cough with the COVID. So <laughs> um, after I uh, finished a big planning project at Denver Water, I thought about, um, what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And as you mentioned, I'm really passionate about helping utilities make decisions. So I joined uh, consulting again. And right now I work at Hazen and Sawyer and work with utilities all over the country on making big decisions. Good, good. It sounds, uh, it sounds like your career has uh, uniquely prepared you for that with your work at Denver Water there. Yeah, it was really uh, rewarding and I learned a lot about how utilities work. Good. All right. Well, what about uh, what about hobbies? Do you, what do you do when you're not at work? When you're uh, not helping utilities make big decisions? <laughs> well, I like most Coloradans like to be outside. So camping, uh, kayaking, got a stand-up paddleboard, and uh, do a fair amount of gardening these days too. With being home a little bit more often. Yeah, I bet there's some. Uh killer gardens out there because of COVID, you know, everybody's staying at home and I know ours, well, ours is not looking that great, but we put more time in it than usual just because we've been, uh, been home. I think everybody's using a little bit more water on their gardens too. Is that right? Yeah. I've seen some of the numbers and outdoor water use. It's been hot, but uh, people have been watering too. Oh, all right. Well, let's start with the, uh, interesting question here i don't know if it's interesting to you but it is to me would you rather be able to uh copy and paste in real life or undo would you rather have a copy and paste button or an undo button i think i'd rather have the copy and paste button undoing feels like a little bit backwards looking and copying pasting just we could just keep living the good days over and over again all right copy and paste some of last summer into this summer. 
Yeah, I agree. Let's start talking about big decisions here. So I guess my first question is, how does a utility know when they're making a big decision or what what qualifies as a big decision for a utility? A lot of it has to do with the magnitude of the decision and that might be the cost of the decision. Uh, it ha might have to do with how long you have to live with the decision. Um, and I think another piece of that is how uncertain you are that the decision's gonna hold up over time. So an example of that might be if you're trying to size some infrastructure, like maybe a buried piece of pipe and you don't build it quite big enough, um, that would have some major consequences. So similar with like a treatment plan, you don't wanna overbuild it and have a lot of extra capacity, but you don't want to underbuild it and then have to expand it right away. So yeah. there's that balance point between, you know, you have limited resources, limited money. So you can't, and plants don't work if they're way overbuilt or, you know, lines don't, don't work if you get them way overbuilt, but you want them big enough to handle the, the future growth. So yeah. How do you, uh, how does a utility go about determining where that sweet spot is, I guess? You know, we've planned a lot of different ways over time. One common way is to look at the past and use the past and extrapolate it into the future and then plan that way. And that holds up pretty well most of the time. Uh, but when you have big uncertainties like climate change or growth in a metro area or uh, decisions that are tied to financials or economic conditions, then I think you have to step back a little bit and do some more holistic planning and not just look at the past to predict the future. Yeah, it's weird to think about, you can, you can think of the future, but you always think of it in terms of the past almost, right? But how would you, you know, how could you even predict what's out there 20 years from now? I don't know, I think of all these time scooters and people riding all those and I'm like, we would have never thought 20 years ago, people would be cruising around the city on, on motorized Lime scooters, but it's really changed how people get around and move around the city. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but it's just weird to, that you can't always know what's coming down the pipe. So, you, you know, trying to build stuff that's resilient enough to withstand cultural changes and social changes and economic changes has got to be a big deal for especially organizations like Denver Water or any utility where you're taking public money, public funds, and, and trying to, to build something for the community. Can you give us an example of, of some big decisions that maybe you've been involved in at Denver Water or as a consultant? Yeah, so while I was at Denver Water, uh, the North System Renewal Project was going on, and a big component of that is sizing for the North Water Treatment Plant. And... For years, uh, we had decided to make that plant a certain capacity. And uh, as we started looking at future conditions and how demand was growing in the metro area, we revisited that decision. And the original capacity for that plant was going to be 300 MGD in planning documents, and then 250 MGD, and then 150 MGD, and they ended up building a 75 MGD plant. Wow advantage to building it smaller is that you save that money for later and you might not ever need the full 150 MGD. Um, but if you do the way they're designing it and building it, they'll be able to easily expand it. 
Nice. Gonna get the best of both worlds then. Size it for not the total future, but leave it so you can build out when you need to. Yeah, there are scenarios where maybe having that treatment capacity somewhere else in the metro area would make more sense. Yeah. I, I guess my next question, what tools, I know you're a consultant, you go in and you kind of, you help utilities make these decisions. What tools or techniques can you share with us that you use to, to do that? Some of the tools that we use in decision-making are pretty simple. Uh, you can have a spreadsheet with some alternatives and different criteria and rate and weight those criteria and then come up with an answer. Uh, some of the tools are a lot more complicated. Uh, Hazen and Sawyer has been working with New York City DEP on their uh, raw water system, and they actually built a model that models all of their stream flows and reservoir levels and, and they use it as an operational tool and a planning tool but you know that's a few million dollar investment of a tool to make decisions um, so decisions really need to be um, scaled and the tools need to be scaled appropriately uh, some of the other things that i've used are doing some simple what if or extremes testing. So you can think about a decision and say, hey, what if we need to build this plant bigger in 10 years? Or what if it's gonna take 20 years? Or what if uh, future regulations come, how are we gonna adapt to that with this decision? Another uh, tool I like to use is scenario planning, where you identify some of those key drivers of change and then um, test how they fit together, and then plan robustly so that no matter how the future unfolds, hopefully you've considered the extremes and you can end up with a, with a decision that will work under most conditions. Good. How do you get people to kind of clear their minds or, or approach these decisions objectively? I guess my question is, do you ever run into people are, are already set on, a, on an answer before they analyze it, and, and it's hard to get people back sometimes from that. Have you ever been up against that on any of your jobs? Yeah, I think that there's actually a fairly significant part of um, our brains that are wired towards that old school deterministic planning where, you know, a master plan, you just pick one version of the future and you plan for that. So encouraging people to think about how they don't really have the ability to predict the future um, and they don't have a crystal ball and so helping them think about how their decisions need to hold up um, for uncertainty uh, it's a it's a pretty big mind shift and as an engineer or a recovering engineer as one of my old bosses used to say because <laughs> I do more planning now yeah. um, that was a hard transition for me because we're so used to you know running models and doing calculations and, you know, sizing pipe and, you know, it's very concrete. So when you're thinking about uncertainty, you kind of have to have a little bit more flexibility and a little bit of um, capacity to deal with those uncomfortable feelings of, you know, you don't know what the future is. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that too, as far as it's a different hat you got to put on when you when you go into planning as opposed to to operations because just for those reasons it just feels different and it's it's not as there's no right answer so I guess you know 
for engineers or, or technical people, they, that's hard to deal with not having a not having a right answer. All right, well, Sarah, I was going to uh, talk a little bit for the mid-show segment of, about Stanislav Petrov. Have you ever heard of him? No. This guy, I watched a documentary on Netflix, and we're talking decisions, and this guy made a huge decision, I guess, that probably saved us all. He was, uh, so let me just read a little from this article by Greg Meyer of uh, NPR. He was a lieutenant colonel in the Soviet Union's Air Defense Forces, his job was to monitor this country's satellite system, which was looking for possible nuclear weapons launches by the U.S. I guess this was in 1983, and they had just shot down Russia, just shot down a Korean airliner that had a U.S. congressman on board, so tensions were high, and everyone was worried about this nuclear attack from each side. So he was monitoring in this bunker in Russia, and he screen-detected five missile launches from the U.S., so normally he was supposed to to take action and, and do something when these missile launches came. So I can read kind of a quote here. He said, Petrov had that quickly U.S. missile launches could reach the Soviet Union in just under 20 minutes. He said there was no rule about how long we were allowed to think before we reported a strike, uh, but we knew every second of procrastination took away valuable time. Uh, he also said, but I couldn't move. I felt like I was sitting in a hot frying pan, which was interesting like sometimes these decisions are so big such enormous consequences that we freeze up or we don't want to deal with them so i think that's that's uh, what he was doing but petrov said something wasn't adding up he didn't completely trust his uh his computers and his satellite system and he figured if it was a launch it should have been a lot more than five missiles it would be all of our missiles right so he knew something was a little off after several nerve-jangling minutes, Petrov didn't send the computer warning to his superiors. He checked to see if there had been a computer malfunction. 23 minutes later, I realized that nothing had happened, he said in 2013. If there had been a real strike, then I would already know about it. It was such a relief. So, yeah, he uh, he kind of went with his gut rather than his computer and and made the decision that he wasn't going to take action, I guess, on the on the missile strike. And his other quote was, that was my job, he said, but they were lucky it was me on that shift that night. So, yeah, the, the sad part about this is in Russia, they reprimanded him for making uh, mistakes in his logbook entries for that day. So he got in trouble with Russia, but then he won all kinds of awards from different countries in the U.S. for saving the world when this all came out later. So I think it's a docu, uh, it's like a docudrama on Netflix if you want to check it out. But that is the story of Stanislav Petrov. Well, uh, I feel like he's my new hero. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm like, we wouldn't all be here for this. This, uh, And there's a picture of him. He's dead now. I think he died in 2017. But there's a picture, and he just looks like a normal dude who was uh, on his computer. But I'm like, this normal guy saved the whole planet. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a... Uh, that's an example of one of them decisions with uh, far-reaching consequences, I guess. Absolutely. And I think it really highlights the importance of checking your gut when you're making decisions. Yeah. Models and data can be helpful, but they can be wrong. So I, I'm glad he had a, a strong constitution and trusted his gut. Yeah. I used to teach a lot of safety classes and I would teach them that you got all these tools, air monitors and different analytical tools and warning systems, but there's also the tool 
that gut feeling is a tool too when you sense you know the hairs on the back of your neck stand up or you you just feel uneasy about something that's a tool that you gotta you gotta throw in the mix too luckily stanislav petrov did that so we we are here today it is getting dark now (laughs) (laughs) world war (laughs) three how did we get here how did we get here (laughs) all right i guess my next question for you sarah how does a utility know some of these decisions like you know what to build when to build where to build how does a utility know when they got it right do you ever know i think that it's difficult to know i some things are definitely more concrete than others uh, but you're going to need time to know if you made the right decision and it might take you 10 or 15 years to decide if it was a good decision i think that you can judge some decisions based on how well they adapt to those changing conditions that we talked about earlier. So if you um, have something happen that you weren't predicting, how well can your decision hold up? An example of that, something we can't predict always is uh, regulatory changes. We're constantly getting new drinking water regulations and new regulations as it relates to environment and So how do we know that we're going to be able to guess what those are and build treatment facilities that can adapt to those conditions over time? So I think if you, you know, if you're getting, you know, five or 10 years out from the decision and it's still working well, then you can say it was a good decision. Yeah. But maybe 20 years from now, you would be like, man, I wish we would have considered that while we were planning. So it's tricky, for sure. Yeah, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But that being said, you still got to plan and move forward with the best uh, best you can do. Yeah. Well, it goes back to our friend from Russia. By not pulling the button or pushing the button, you know, he didn't really decide. So sometimes not deciding is make uh, you're making a decision by not making a decision too. So. All right, Sarah. I know when you, you know, as a consultant, you go into utilities across the the U.S. and help them with this planning and setting up frameworks and 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 making these hard decisions. Do you do anything to help them make decisions when you're gone? Any techniques you you can teach them so that they're better equipped to make decisions when they don't have a a consultant or a planning department? Yeah, one of the tools that. Um I like to use is uh, defining different triggers for when you need to make decisions. Um, So if you know that there's a high likelihood that you'll have to do something in the future, maybe it's using our example here today, adding additional capacity at a treatment plant. If you define when you would want to do that and document that and um, give the utility the tools to track the different metrics over time, as they get closer to having to make that decision, they can reevaluate and say, okay, uh, now we're seeing that growth. We'll want to do that plan expansion. We know it's going to take three years in construction. And so we're close enough to the point where we want to start construction on that uh, new plan expansion. Is (laughs) new plant in a new plant Expansion. All right. Easy for me. That's all right. I'll edit that that part out. You're all right. (laughs) 
Um, so, uh, you know, I think we have to move towards more continual planning. So you have to think about um, your decision-making on a more continuous basis. So, um, you know, setting up a framework as part of a project I did at Denver Water included, you know, having uh, different activities that would happen every year to help um, people decide when to pull the trigger on different projects. So really spending time to define these different triggers. So I think there are roadmaps you can put together for that. There are um, uh, processes that you can help people implement. Um, maybe it's a new a part of capital budgeting to make sure that they're checking all of the different moving pieces and having some way to incorporate additional projects when they need them. I don't know that that was a great answer. But. Yeah, no, that was, I think it was. I think <laughs> part of doing that just puts it on paper and gets people thinking about it and, and used to it. It's always a shock if you say, oh, we need to build a new treatment plant now and you haven't done that planning process it usually doesn't turn out well you know absolutely and um even if you don't have a planning department you know there are ways to incorporate planning in the work you do i mean obviously utilities come in all different sizes and most don't have as large of a planning group as denver water yeah. but you know even if you have an operator that you know keeps track of those different metrics and can help figure out when to do that expansion. I think that that's great. Yeah. We were talking, you know, going with your gut, but that's only a little of it. You know, it's, it's data and, and how you use the data and how you collect the data and how you set it up. So you're getting the right data. And I think that that helps make good decisions. You don't want to get too far on the gut going with your gut side without a, a big bunch of data behind it to, to support it. I think. Right. All right. Well, let me uh, let me ask you this. You're one of the best in the business here at planning for for large utilities and making these huge decisions. Is can any of that apply to a personal life decisions for people? Is there uh, any crossover there? Sure. Um, you know, buying a car is a great example of making a decision. One that you know, financially, it's one of the bigger decisions we make often, and. Um, there are a lot of choices. So I have definitely made spreadsheets before purchasing a vehicle before, <laughs> you know, compared miles per gallon and features, you know, some of the most important features for Colorado being heated seats. Um, that one's ranked very highly in my matrix of car oh, buying. Those are nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think a car is a pretty easy decision. Um, if you think about maybe a more uncertain decision like moving to a new state or a new city and you've got a few options, maybe you do some more scenario planning around that and think about, you know, um, am I likely to convince the grandparents to move out here with me to take care of my children sometimes? <laughs> or <laughs> am I likely to enjoy the recreational activities at, you know, this, um, location versus another location. Um, I think you can definitely apply decision-making techniques to life decisions. Yeah. It's got to be tough on you as a planner because if you have any uh, 
if you make any bad decisions, people will say, well, you're a professional planner. What, uh, you know. <laughs> what did you do wrong here? You didn't map, you should have mapped that, you know. Maybe I should have uh, changed my answer on the copy and paste to undo, you know, <laughs> go back and undo some of those decisions that might not have been perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, you can't look back. No regrets. Yeah, right, for I sure. I like your answer on that one. Yeah. All right, Sarah. Well, what, uh, and there's probably a lot of stuff, but what should I have asked you that I have not asked you yet that you would like to uh, get across to the listeners about planning or the industry or anything you want? I think we should talk a little bit about when it's okay not to make a decision. We brought that a little bit up with our friend from Russia, but um, sometimes I think we have external pressures to make decisions that we don't need to make right now. So, you know, that's okay. If you maintain the ability um, to preserve options in the future, then that might be better than deciding something. Um, when you're doing uh, some of this longer term planning, there's some concepts of having um, options that you can preserve. And so maybe it's buying land for a new reservoir before you need a new reservoir. You might never need that new reservoir, but as far as I know, they're not making any more land. So, and it's probably not the most expensive part of the project. So you could buy the land, hold on to it, and then if you don't need it, you can always sell it later. Um, so I think those options to preserve are something we should be thinking about as we um, do our planning. Um, other concepts are, you know, low regrets or no regrets options, where if you're looking at a broad range of future conditions, there are things that make sense to do no matter what. So let's get those planned and built and get those ones out of the way. Those are probably the easiest ones. I think that the decisions in the middle are usually the most difficult. Those ones with the triggers. So, you know, I think that's where I end up spending a lot of my time thinking through, okay, we know we're going to need it. It's going to be in the next 10 or 20 years. How do we decide when to pull the trigger? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. The, the timing of when to make the decision is, is a big part of the actual decision. I think we, uh, we forget that sometimes. I mean, we're doing strategies here where I work to, to push things out, you know, because technology, even in the last 20 years I've been in this business, technology has changed so much. So, you know, how much is it going to change in 20 more years? And if we build something now, is that going to, to meet the permit limits or the, you know, is technology going to be so far advanced that we'll regret what we've built and will what we've built serve the, the treatment needs of, of 20 years out, I guess. And so those are, those are questions we're looking at here. So it falls right in with, with what you're saying as far as preserving, preserving your options and when to, when to pull the trigger and when to hit the, the nuclear launch button, I guess. That's a, <laughs> a bad enough. Or not. Or, or not. not. <laughs> would always be the case on that one. I think so. Yeah. And, you know, in five years, maybe the perfect technology that you can't even imagine today will be out there. Yeah. So, so Sarah, we got the quiz coming up. I know you're a, a quiz master, quiz expert, because uh, I know you've won the toilet bowl trivia in the past. Can you tell the, tell our listeners how you did that? 
I think the winning question was about the schmoozdecca, which is the layer of um, biological matter on the slow sand filter. I think you're right. The schmoozdecca. Yeah. Schmoozdecca. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was a fun question. Did Nobody you, else had a clue. Yeah. That's, uh, that's not one many people know. Yeah, that's it's a tricky kind one. of frightening that you know that. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, that one just stuck with me. I thought it was such a silly word. And I had a German water treatment class professor. And so he really liked to say that word. Wow. And, you know. Everything built up to that moment. That's incredible. It really, like my whole career came together right then. <laughs> For the uh, listeners out there, if you're not familiar with the toilet bowl, at the RMWEA annual conference every year, it's a, a trivia contest, a heated trivia battle between teams uh, focused on wastewater and water trivia. So that's, uh, that's what we're referring to here. All right, Sarah, let's get started with our, uh, with our quiz here. I did listen to all the previous episodes, so I'm a little bit nervous about the quiz here, so. Are you? Yeah. Well, this one's kind of a hodgepodge. We'll see how you do. Are you ready for question number one? Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, what American rock band released a song in 2015 called Big Decisions? Was it A, The Decembrists, B, My Morning Jacket, C, Kanye West, or D, Twisted Sister, which mm. rock band had a song called Big Decisions? I don't know the answer, but I'm going to go with B. My Morning Jacket? Yeah. That yes. Is correct. That was a good guess. <laughs> well, you did. with your gut on that. Yeah, I did. Just full on gut. Yeah. All right. I'm the, this one is, you got to get, let me set the timer here. You got to get five of these uh, in 20 seconds. Ooh, okay. Uh, these are called same movies. It's going to be quick decision making here. So I'm going to give you two movies that were basically the same movie released about the same time. Uh, and you tell me which one was better. Okay. So no strings attached or friends with benefits. Friends with benefits. Correct. Olympus has fallen or White House down. Olympus has fallen. Okay. Tombstone or Wyatt Earp? Tombstone. That is correct. Observe and Report or Paul Blart Mall Cop? Paul Blart Mall Cop. Oh, that is incorrect. I'm sorry. <laughs> a Dog's Journey or The Art of Racing in the Rain? Oh, man. I'm not a movie buff. Uh, dog's Journey. Oh, that is incorrect. The Art of Racing in the Rain. I'm just failing. Babe or Gordy? Babe. Oh, yeah. I think that's five. I think you got it. You went a little long, but I forgot to look at the timer. So, uh, yes, you have got that. Can you believe two movies about talking pigs in the same year, Babe and Gordy? Well, I love that movie, Babe. I just watched that during quarantine. That is a really good movie. Did you ever see Gordy? No. No? I think it was. I like actually haven't seen most of those movies, i got to be honest. Really? That's hard for me. <laughs> All right, third question. Here we go. Okay, what holiday is today? This has nothing to do with decisions, but what holiday? It's a Friday. It's time to celebrate something. What holiday is today? Is it A, National Tequila Day, 
B, National Thermal Engineer Day, C, National Drive-Through Day, or D, National Cousins Day? What holiday is today? Oof. Uh, man, I hope it's National Tequila Day, so I'm just going to go with that. going to go with that? You are correct. Number three, Sarah. Good work. Um, that one was a freebie, though, because it's actually all those holidays. It's National Thermal Engineer Day, which I plan on celebrating later. Uh, it's Yeah, it's all of those, I guess. According to the... All right. Yeah, but uh, the best one's National Tequila Day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thanks for being on. I uh, appreciate, appreciate you coming on, and, and I love talking about this topic of planning and when to make decisions and how to make decisions. And I think you've, you provided some good ideas and, and a good discussion on that. And I appreciate it. Thanks. And to our listeners, thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, if you have any tips or suggestions or guest uh, topics for that you would like to hear on the podcast, you can email me at streamingwater at mail.com. Also, if you like the show, uh, give us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. And thanks for listening to the Streaming Water Podcast. Thanks for being on again, Sarah. It was really fun. Thanks, Blair.